Last week, one of the largest non-nuclear explosions in history rocked the city of Beirut in Lebanon. It was a day of devastation. At least 154 people were killed and thousands more were injured. The images shocked many people around the world, and they set off days of protests in Beirut. This past weekend, tens of thousands of protesters took to the streets. Since the explosion happened, there have been growing protests in Beirut and ones that are increasingly confrontational with the police and security forces. Nazia Asairan covers Lebanon. He says that many protesters are fed up with what they call years of government corruption. Many of them say government negligence is to blame for the explosion. Lebanon's people see this political class as only out to serve itself. And they believe that Lebanon's political class has been killing them. This growing discontent has deepened a political crisis in Lebanon. And today, the country's prime minister resigned. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Monday, August 10th. Coming up on the show, why explosives sat in Beirut's port for years and how the blast has pushed Lebanon to a breaking point. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers. Removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. The explosion last Tuesday was set off when a fire broke out in a warehouse in the port of Beirut. It's not known what started the fire, but the flames detonated a load of more than 2,000 tons of ammonium nitrate, a chemical used in fertilizers and commercial explosives. And that load of explosive chemicals had been sitting in Beirut's port for seven years. But how did Lebanese authorities let a load of dangerous chemicals stay in the middle of a busy downtown port for so long? It starts in 2013, when the ammonium nitrate first arrived in Beirut on a ship called the Rosos. And can you describe the ship itself? Well, it's, this is a very faulty ship, right? It's one of the medium-sized shipping vessels. And this, it was a very, in a very sorry state when it landed inside Beirut. It was leaking, it had deficiencies, the machinery wasn't doing very well, the lighting was broken, uh, you had alarms uh, that were not working properly. The ship had begun its journey in the country of Georgia, It planned to deliver the ammonium nitrate to an explosives manufacturer in Mozambique. But along the way, it got rerouted. The ship's owner, Igor Grusheshkin, a Russian owner, he's a Russian businessman. According to the reporting of our colleagues, he tells the captain that, you know, there isn't any more money for them to pay for their crossing through the Suez Canal. So they have to go to Beirut in order to load new cargo in order to uh, fund this journey through the Suez Canal. The ship stopped in Beirut to pick up that extra cargo to help pay for the remainder of its journey. But when the ship arrived, it ran into problems. 
you know, the ship comes to Beirut, there's an inspection that happens, you know, and there were lots of technical violations because of all the faulty, you know, machines that were leaking, alarms are inoperative, uh, 17 deficiencies. The Lebanese authorities refused to clear it. What happens to the ship and what happens to the crew that's on it? The ship is seized by the port authorities. And the crew wasn't allowed by Lebanese authorities to disembark because they were Russian and Ukrainian citizens. So the crew is stranded. Lebanese authorities had ordered the sailors to stay on a ship that was carrying tons of explosive material. The ship's captain described it as living on a powder keg. And the sailors began a public campaign to be let off the ship. They appealed to Lebanese and Russian officials for help, and even the Red Cross. You know, one day they even stand uh, on the deck of the ship holding a sign in English saying, uh, Lebanese release us home. So they were very vocal in their attempts to kind of get off the ship. It took several months, but eventually a court granted permission for the sailors to leave the ship. Around this time, port officials were trying to figure out what they were going to do with the dangerous chemicals that were still on board. So this is kind of when the complexities of Lebanon's bureaucratic institutions comes to play. The head of customs makes a request to the court of urgent matters, asking them for permission for him to sell these chemicals or re-export these substances and chemicals abroad, ammonium nitrate. And until eventually in 2014, uh, the court of urgent matters responds. The court refused the requests to re-export or sell the chemicals. Instead, it ordered the cargo to be stored in a safe location. After the cargo was taken off the ship, the aging vessel was moved into the harbor, where the captain says it eventually sank. But the ammonium nitrate wasn't taken to a safe location, as the court had ordered. Instead, it was offloaded into a hangar at the port. So this happens, right? The court gives its decision telling the port officials to do this. But what the port officials then keep on doing, they keep sending the same exact letter requesting a resale or re-export of these substances. And every time they're the same letter, it's like copy-paste almost. The court stopped responding. When a new head of customs took over a few years later, he too warned a judge of the, quote, extreme danger that the cargo posed by staying in the port. But the explosive chemicals stayed in the warehouse. And while they sat there, another powerful force was brewing in Lebanon, a political movement. Last year, the country faced a growing economic and political crisis. Signs that the economy is beginning to, you know, slump emerged late last year in summer. The uh, inflation began to soar. Uh, Lots of businesses closed their shops. Lebanon's banks are basically zombie banks. People were suffering in every single way. There was, there's no electricity. Water is scarce. Medicine is extremely expensive. Food is, is extremely expensive. To help shore up revenue, the government imposed a $6 monthly tax on the messaging app WhatsApp. And that seemingly simple act set off a wave of protests. People felt that, uh, you know, the rulers of Lebanon were very disconnected from what was going on. And that just, like, sends people into a fury and kicks off unprecedented demonstrations across Lebanon. In response to the protests, Lebanon's prime minister announced his resignation in October. But the country's economic woes continued. Inflation soared into 2020. And then COVID happened. And COVID just made everything worse. We began our lockdown around February, and in the beginning of April, as people emerged from lockdown, demonstrations started happening. Now they were burning banks and kind of going after uh, the banks because 
everybody's money is stuck in the bank. So people were quite angry and frustrated and depressed. And then the explosion. That's after the break. Last week, the ammonium nitrate that had been sitting in the port for years blew up. Naziah was at his apartment in Beirut, reading on his bed. I hear a small explosion from a distance, and I immediately jump off of the bed and run into my living room, where my partner was. There was this omnipotent buzzing sound. It was like a zzzz, and this was just coming closer and closer and closer. And it's a sound that I'll, I'll never forget, because that sound really, it just filled the world with horror. And then you start making it towards the door, and then that's when the second explosion hit, and you were kind of thrown to the floor. We thought it was an airstrike. We were in a state of complete fear and shock. And what what did you see when you looked out your window? What were people doing or saying on the streets? First of all, I almost didn't recognize what was outside of my window. It was scorched earth. It was the rubble had overturned from the street. You know, in the seconds after the explosion, it was quiet. But then immediately, you know, uh, it would be punctured by screams. And, and, and this wasn't screams for cries of help or cries of, you know, screams vocalizing something. These were just shrieks of pain and shrieks of grief and shrieks of fury. And there was a small uh, a motorbike, a moped, just like, you know, slamming down the road. The guy driving seemed fine, but the guy in the back had his, it seemed like he had his entire, uh, you know, clothes torn off. Uh, he only had remnants of jeans on him and he was covered in blood and his head was hanging back and he was just swearing at Lebanon. You know, like a lot of like throwing profanities at the country. I hate you, Lebanon. I hate this place. Just deeply frustrated with what's been going on in the country. Yeah. In the days following the blast, it became clear that it wasn't an airstrike. It was that ammonium nitrate that had been sitting in the port for nearly seven years. After years of growing frustration in Lebanon, these revelations were another sign to many Lebanese that their government was failing them. On top of failing to deliver healthcare, uh, water, electricity, people are just enraged and they put the blame squarely on, Le- on the entirety of Lebanon's political class. Lebanon's prime minister hasn't taken responsibility for the explosion, saying his administration only learned of the chemicals two weeks before the blast. The government has launched an investigation to find out who was responsible for leaving them in the port so long. So far, the inquiry has focused on the port officials who'd written those letters to the courts. The two most recent customs directors were detained and had their bank accounts frozen. You know, no one has assumed responsibility. No one has uh, taken the blame. And, you know, the the government has really upped the ante in this and is saying that no one would be exempt and that everybody would be targeted in this. Many in Lebanon are not happy with the investigation so far. Over the weekend, tens of thousands of protesters took to the streets. Some clashed with security forces and took over government buildings, putting up revolutionary banners and throwing documents out the window. So now, now it's anger and bloodlust. People won't accept things for things to continue. People are really angry. So things like hang up the nooses have been trending on Twitter. 
Any officials from the government that tried to help were immediately kicked out. The education minister tried to come help with the sweeping. He was kicked out of the street. The justice minister tried to come talk to people in Jemaize, one of the hardest hit areas of the blast. She was chased out of the street. People are enraged and people feel like they have nothing left to lose. So people want to confront the government. They want to go to a demonstration and, you know, throw rocks at the police. But at the same time, during demonstrations, we saw a very uh, violent response from the government. The government forces guarding parliament were throwing uh, gas bombs. At some point, we saw gas bombs fall on Red Cross tents. We saw gas bombs fall on first aid providers. We also heard live ammunition being used. About 150 protesters were injured over the weekend, according to the Lebanese Red Cross, and one police officer was killed. As clashes escalated, the prime minister of Lebanon, who took office in the wake of last year's protests, said that Lebanon needs a, quote, new political elite. And today, he resigned. The prime minister's cabinet will take on a caretaker role until a new government is formed. Nazia says this moment feels more intense than the upheaval in 2019. Before COVID happened, we saw the demonstrations and the financial collapse, and people were saying, you know, it's only going to get worse from here. Then COVID happened, and, you know, the path towards complete collapse just grew shorter by a bit more. And I think with the explosion that happened, this really throws Lebanon off the ledge towards, like, an abyss of chaos, honestly. Uh, Lebanon's uh, political order is falling apart in front of us. What's going to come after that is really a mystery. While Lebanon's political order is fracturing, Nazia says he's seeing Lebanon's citizens coming together. After the explosion last week, Nazia left his apartment for a few days, and when he came back... I went back to my apartment and it was spotless. People had cleaned our apartment completely, they had swept everything, they had removed the glass. Our electronics were all tucked away in a corner, our books were in a corner. So that's really what's happening in Lebanon. You have this youthful, inclusive spirit that's very much about community, exemplified by all of the people coming together to help after the the blast. Because Lebanon is really molding, and Lebanon's youth especially, are really molding a new identity for themselves now. And this really is baptism by fire for them. People came together just as Lebanese. And this is what really what is giving people hope. That's all for today, Monday, August 10th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Additional reporting in this episode by Dion Nissenbaum, Georgi Kanchev, Benoit Faucone, Suna Engel Rasmussen, and Jared Malzen. Additional audio courtesy of Nasia Asairan, as well as Jenny Rahed, Aya Majoub, and Imad Khalil via Storyful. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.